has it been raining like every single day since you've been here? No. Only like, frankly, today, I think. We're recording. We're live. Hey, what's up? Hi, Ted. How Just are today? you? I feel like it's been gray the past week. How long have you been here? Since Monday before and this one, do one you, week. Do you have the New York bug? Like you have to move here now or what? Because uh-huh. you're, you're from Indiana originally. Yeah. So I have the I'll go anywhere else bug and always have, but... Uh-huh. I just left home. I flew the coop last year and moved to Chicago. So I've been there for the past year. And although I am getting uh, the city, you know, seeping into my pores a bit, I also have a good thing going on at home. And I kind of like being in and out no matter where I am. In Indiana, you mean? Well, in Chicago, especially. But Chicago is also within four hours to home. And home is where I started like headlining last year and my buddies still come out and support me, and I'm on a Pacer commercial. So while I got the hot hand, we got to just fucking, you know, I'm bounce in, around. I'm I feel there, you. you know? so is Indiana and like are there similar parts like the suburbs of Chicago, suburbs of Indiana, or is Indiana just really it's suburban? Day, it's not even suburban. It's really rural. Like there's some areas of cosmopolitan, if you will, and that would be Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Is it just like the strip like in Indianapolis? I don't know too much about it. I'll tell you. Okay, I'll tell you. I have some friends who went to Indiana. Indiana, Here, let's sum it up. Easy breezy. Put a little closer Um, to you. There you go. Indiana is the state, if you're not familiar, that made Mike Pence a national problem. (laughs) Was he like a governor there first? (laughs) For sure. He was our whole fucking thing, dude. That That fucking crypt keeper. So that should tell you everything, (laughs) you know? Calling his wife mother. Yes, successful people are from Indiana. Uh, Some people really love it. Um, And I'm from there. Like I said, I'm having a pretty hot hand this year at home, but I also know the limitations of said state. When Roe v. Wade got overturned, Indiana took out a special session to make sure we could co-sign it first out of all the goondick states in the fucking union. So think about that. That's today. That's not 1950s. You know, the small town I grew up called Clay City put my sister in blackface in 2005. How many people grew up in that town? Not too many, but I mean, population around 836 when I was there. So think about that as far as like what New York looks like to me. Yeah. That's like one block from First Avenue. I mean, probably you, to it's hard Fifth to, Avenue. you know, it's hard to comprehend. Sure. Yeah. Spend, There's like it, more boroughs it was in pre- Chicago. It was pretty, spread, it was pretty spread out though in Indiana. Oh yeah. It's all acreage, you know? So that's, that's, I'm not saying everything about the state, you know, needs in fucking just burnt down. But even if it was, it would be just mostly <laughs> wide open anyway, because that's kind of the vibes also. How many people when you were graduating high school class? By the time the Pregos had to go to alternative school oh and somebody died in a combine accident or, you know, whatever other small town shit, uh, 73. What did your growing up experience look like in Indiana compared to maybe going to Chicago and you're seeing so many people do different things? Like, was it just like people graduated from the high school in Indiana and then they kind of worked in town? What did it look like? And I imagine I imagine it's out of the ordinary for you to be in New York now. For sure. If you hadn't, you know, if you weren't getting married right away, like. How old? And then I mean, by, I feel like by 22 in Indiana, if you're not like trying to you're old. get that, get marriage minded, dudes. But I mean, I was saying some of my, my peers were cranking kids out in high school. So those, I mean, I'm about to be 39, even if I look young, 
Uh, shout out to mom. I but I fucking, well Filipinos also look young. I feel oh, will like. be. They, older, look at Joe Coy right now. Get. I have no idea how old that dude oh, yeah, is. Yeah, you're right. He's killing it. He's but like I mean, 31. He's, he just doesn't even matter. It looks he looks the same as when he started. Probably better because he has way more money now and it's just like flashy and has the sneakers I want. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's night and day. I made a joke on stage, but it was, and I think New Yorkers think I'm being like cheeky, but they just don't get it if they don't get it, which is where I'm from and what, you know, that looks like. But it's like, even in the lack of people, it was even diversity amongst that sample. Like in high school, kindergarten through 12th grade, never knew another person in our town that was like African-American. The only other Asians in town lived in my household. So that's my full Asian mom and my two siblings and the, you know, two and a half Asians, basically. Was there a lot of prejudice growing up in your town? For sure. And it was like whimsical. You know, I, I was mean, like, I mean, it was like, I just would get called. I mean, it's also the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, you know, so it was like people were really letting a lot of verbiage fly that nowadays is very like frowned upon, you know, like we would call our friends retard. So it's like, it's just a little bit different. You know, there's a, there's a new, that social consciousness sort of a shift, which is good. And I'm happy to like be a part of all that, but you know, I'd get called gook or spick or chink and I'm half white, half Filipino. So it makes it like hysterical. And I always coped with comedy. I've always been a funny person. So it's like, I don't care if there's 12 people in Clay City, every one of them that has ever met me would be like, oh, Hannah Rushline was a tiny ham who grew into a she's the class clown piece of shit for sure and i you know but it was like we had well attended birthday parties because like racists love ethnic food you know my dad's also the pastor of a church so it's like there was just all these little parts of like community that i was a part of but i didn't suffer any less like you know what i'm saying like that kind of like prejudice though growing up it just even being popular and outgoing and funny and all the stuff like I still heard it you know I still you can this like if I didn't have tinnitus or my earbuds in I'd probably hear somebody call me something stupid today in this city did you move to Indiana or like your dad moved there to become a pastor of that town or were you just like there dad was already that a child of that corn So dad went over to San Diego to Bible college, managed to wrangle my Filipino mom, who wildly was over there also, had abandoned the Philippines, gave up Catholicism, heard some, like a a televangelist came to the Philippines and got her, you know, resonated, I guess. And she ends up at the same place that my like former hippie, you know, dad was at. And then they hit it off and he decides he'll take their talents Back to the, you know. So they moved to the small town in Indiana. And then what happened to you when you graduated high school? What was your mindset? Well, I was ready to get the fuck out of there. I'd been praying that Forrest Gump prayer where Jenny's in the field where she's like, dear God, please make me a bird so I can fly far, (laughs) far, far away from here. I was done, dude. Plus, great movie. Um, I was ready to go. And honestly, I was like, at that point, so this is like 2001, 2002, I was still like very well behaved. My dad is a pastor of a church. You know, so still, always has been, is today. Mom, full-blown Asian. You know, and I was firstborn, so it's like, at that point, it's like I hadn't started drinking or fucking around yet. So I still had big dreams and aspirations. Like, I went to IU on a scholarship. I was pre-med, double majoring in poli-sci and philosophy. And then freshman year, I started drinking, and then I didn't stop for 15 years. 
So the whole thing just looks kind of, you know, like a just a rediscovering of myself that I don't want to say I got put on pause at that point, but it was like I went from being like, get I'm the fuck out of here. You know, like I was so excited to contribute to the brain drain to just being like, oh, I'm going to drink and like potentially die here. Well, you said pre-med, were you interested in going to med school and you said drinking for 15 years. So you are sober now? Four years. I smoke weed, so that's California, California sober, sobriety right, right, or whatever. Of course, of course. But um, yeah, I could just I could even give that up though. So that's how I know it's not like alcohol was. But well, yeah, what happened though to the pre med dreams and then being a double major in college? Because that's a lot of work. Well, I think I've got the I've got the brain cap for it. You know, like watching me swim through my own sets on stage. People are like, "Man, you're really using a lot of space up there for." So very little, it feels, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, I see you. I know I'll go back to school. I, I won't. I hated it. Um, but yeah, that was like a big part of it. I was like learning, you know, I just I wanted to do whatever I needed to do to get away from there. And like at that point, you know, I wanted to like succeed and check all these like boxes that I thought societally were the right thing. So I'm like, oh, a doctor. And I love sports. So I was like, I'll get into orthopedic medicine. You know, I had this like very alpha like program, you know, and the double major was just a flex for me. It was because, you know, I was from that tiny town. We never had any AP classes. Like if I had to like flex my brain, I had to do it. You were on scholarship, so you might as well, did you think? For sure. All that. I also just was like greatly underestimating what was about to happen to me with alcohol and also how much I really didn't like value the institution educationally because I've always been like oh yeah I got you know like I can go through school easy breezy in fact I've written enough papers for my brother and friends to have multiple degrees myself I am an English I eventually switched to English because that's more my speed but you know just still it's led us here and I'm like (laughs) it makes me kind of laugh to think about because what what happened with the the alcohol situation dad was a former alcoholic So in his little origin story, you know, before turning his life over to G.O.D., dad was like, like I said, a hippie, you know, going to Woodstock. He's got like these crazy like trip weed stories that he'll tell me if I would have, you know, asked or wanted to know growing up. So like before he found Jesus in like his 30s, he, you know, like ran from the police, has like a cool Polaroid where he has like a black eye where they punched him. He's racing cars in the 70s. It's like basically me, you know, in a different day and age and in a white male like frame. But so it's like I had this awareness because of the way he talked that like alcoholism was something that he struggled with. But I just wasn't like touching it. I wasn't like I was popular in high school, but I was also, like I said, oldest pastor's daughter. This is like pre-internet a little bit even too. So it's like we just weren't acting out as much we didn't have as many elements to like get into tomfoolery you just had to like go out there and do whatever so like I was even well behaved in high school I probably could have gone to parties but I was like I'm not gonna do this plus in my mind like I was telling you I wanted to get the fuck out of there so I was like even then I didn't like I wasn't like looking at alcohol like it was the devil but I had been raised to believe it was the devil in church and then also with an understanding that dad had gone through something with it you know so I just know that I started, and it's like when you first start at that level, I mean, I did it for a decade and a half, 10 plus drinks a day. Oh, wow. So heavy, you know, and I was always in trouble, Ted. Like, it was like, you know, people will go back and you're like, 
well, 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 what was rock bottom? And I was, I was like, gonna ask dude, that. forever shifting. You know, but it's something you can't quite put your what finger on. What do you, what do you on. mean forever shifting? It was just like, I would think I had hit rock bottom where I'm like, oh, four days in Marion County Jail, Hannah. Did that feel cute? Is that cute off just a DUI and you not doing your community service? Like, does that feel like a time to get sober? And I still, it took me like five years from that, that moment. You know, those moments where people will be like, oh, something happened and I woke up outside of the subway and I had to get sober. And I'm so thankful that people have those moments of clarity. I just made a collection of them, you know, and it turned into this like very haunting museum of my life where I was like well aware, you know, that I was like I'd fought and survived something, but I was also like, dude, it's you, you know, and I wasn't convinced I was really ever going to get out from under it. You know, it's like it was hard to diagnose at first because like I said, we were just in our 20s. I just got away from home. So it was like, of course, everyone drinks. It's also fucking Indiana. But you were doing great in school still with drinking? No. So the second it started, I just was like, fuck school. And how was this like sophomore year, middle of freshman year? Middle of freshman. But I didn't even tell mom and dad that I hadn't been going to class for two years until sophomore. You know, so it's like I kind of, you know, you look back and you're like, yeah, I might not have like understood the complexion, like I said, or the fabric of like what drinking was impressing upon me at that time. But I was also not unaware, you know, if I have a big brain and I wanted to get out of there and I like can easily just like, you know, have awareness and understanding of things like my alcoholism was no different. What about the scholarship? Gone. I mean, I went to more I went to more IU basketball games freshman and sophomore year than I did any classes. And like I said, I had gone, I towed the line all the way leading up. You know, it was just the first time I didn't have like four extra sets of eyes on me. You know, mom's fucking squint and dad's just, hey, Bucky, get up for school and did go you, do your did shit. Did you graduate from Indiana though? No, I stopped. I eventually like went and picked up more credits and switched over to English at Indiana State in Terre Haute in like a flash where I was like still drinking, but I would have these like, moments of like productivity so i don't want to act like in that whole 15 years i had nothing to show for it because it's like easy for me to look back now after a presidential term and be like damn what a fucking waste guy you know but like i'm also like hey you got to be able to see some things in this whole thing and you do and you always did you know it's like even now being like a popular person I collected all those people still during the drinking years too. You know, like they're just like, I'm thankful to have people in my life that say cool shit to me that like, I wouldn't necessarily like arrive upon on my own of being like Hannah, that whole thing. It was like, you only view yourself as having like been spinning your wheels. Like everybody else felt movement from you, you know, it just wasn't all the time the way they wanted me to go, which was up, which is everyone, you know? So it's like, I don't, I don't know. I managed to like, I think through my own imagination, get through that, that time drinking where I could just like continue, even if it was like, there's no way we're going to get away from this now. Like this has already got so stupid. So, you know, cause it's like I was saying, if I knew I kind of had issues like wrecking a car, you know, drunk on absinthe when I was 21, my first DUI, it's like that kind of stuff is like, that's. Like I was saying, those little like constantly shifting rock bottoms where I was just like, oh, this isn't like, this is what it is. 
But was there a point when you were like 25 years old where you were like, all right, the last two or three years have really not been good. I see myself kind of tumbling down. Or was it just like day by day? You're like, I can handle it. Other people are alcoholics, but I can handle it and get shit done. Mixed bag of all of that. I mean, it's all little lies that you tell yourself to get from point A to point B every single day. You know, there's a million things like, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. To, you know, you're just this is what you've chosen for yourself like you'll you know and I I was also one of those people where I wanted to get away in so many ways like we were talking about growing up so it's like when I actually like got into drinking I was like I'd have these little moments like I said where I'd go back to school or I'd like train for a mini marathon or I'd do something but like none of those things were ever like fully sustainable because of the level that I was drinking so it would just be more like little moments of like chill and I could get things to where I was just having like a bottle of wine a day as opposed to two. So after Indiana State, you graduated from there, correct? No, I still didn't finish. I'm probably still like two semesters worth of credits to crank an English major. And it's funny now being this age and walking around New York City and having like more of like an understanding of my own brain or discipline where I'm like, oh, Hannah, remember when you were young and you had NYU send you a book all the way to the cornfields? If you want to finish here one day, you can. Super easy. What do you, you know? Mean? What do you mean by that? What? I just mean like I just even I'm having these little like epiphanies of understanding where I'm like, oh, everything you dreamed of in the start. You can still have all those things too, right alongside your comedy, right alongside all of it. You know, just like being over here and seeing the universities, I'm like, oh, I'm two semesters away. And then sometimes I'm like, the way people act so stupid and let me keep doing comedy, I'm like, someone's going to fuck around and give me an honorary degree anyway. (laughs) And that's all mom and dad have ever wanted. I was on this magazine cover of a local thing in Indy this past year and like mom and dad hung it up in between my sisters like and brothers diplomas i love that but it's like the great joke in the house because it's like even those two high achievers would tell you that like i'm the smartest one so it's become this like just just a shit show of it is of circumstances but yeah uh new york's a trippy place to you know finally kind of come in and be like wow i've seen myself here a million times but I'm also not that. a kid now. Did you? So what did, do you want to do? Did you here? move home when you had the issue? Like, when did your parents fully diagnose, I guess, your drinking problem? I feel like dad knew right away. As, well, like, at least this, the first time I got, got in trouble. So, like, getting a DUI. Because it's like, that for him was probably something he'd been walking around with, like, a loaded gun anyway, in his own mind of being like, will I see my own alcoholic genes passed down to one of these kids and the thing is like i said i wasn't drinking in high school so we couldn't like see it and we weren't catholic so it wasn't like alcohol was even like something we could like dabble around with it was like very teetotaling you know i've still never even had a drink in front of my parents even with what i was talking about a raging alcohol problem you say you never have had no a drink. but it's also because i left home at 18 and i never moved home even when it was like i thought i was going to be homeless i kept that away from them well where were you though indianapolis Indi- Terre Haute, you know so like outside of my small town still in indiana but just not 
finding housing month to month. For, or, you know, a year at a time. I still, like I was saying, was still a popular person who, like, loved other people. I was just a fucking drunken asshole at some point every day. And mostly just to myself. I think a lot of people now, like, were shocked when I came out and was like, wow, I'm going to get sober. And I've wanted, I've tried to do this a million times. You know, people were like, whoa, we didn't even know. You were drinking like that. But you know? one of your friends wasn't like maybe at a bar in Indianapolis, for example, like Hannah, you were crazy last night. You have to stop drinking. <laughs> you never had. Oh, okay. No, I was always having that. I always had to have like somebody would like I'd wake up most mornings like feeling like I owed someone an apology and really? had no idea why, you know, and it was usually just kind of like the same person, which was typically like potentially a significant other. You know, I didn't tend to like date ever like mental matches I just chose people who could facilitate my alcoholism or not like even try to like stoke fires of creativity within me in times when I was not going to get away from that bottle. Cause it's like, even what we've been talking about the whole time kind of stems back to like me during that 15 years being like, okay, I know what I would like to do, which clearly, you know, in this conversation is a handful of things. You know, many things. I want to write a book. I've always, like, wanted to do all kinds of weird little things, like pilots for TV and different stuff. But it's like, if I had that knowledge as a kid that I potentially could go into all of that, but I had the upbringing I did, which I'm not blaming them, but, you know, still a heavily religious pastor dad right now. Like, dad told me recently where where we're at on his personal timeline for the book of Revelation. So, like, that's heavy. That's four horsemen of the apocalypse energy on top of my pussy jokes. Like, it's a lot. And I love those fuckers, you know? Like, they're me, and I'm them, but it's like, I'm also not. And I'm not that little kid anymore, you know? And I think when I kind of, like, decided, I was like, there was, I spent a lot of time just understanding that for me to do my creativity the way that I thought would be, like, most reflective of me and the work that I have inside of me or to share, I was going to hurt people that I care about a lot. Did you ever have people that you can look at them and be like, they are a bad influence on me? And then maybe you started to see people who are a good influence on you in your life. Maybe it didn't happen until you moved to Chicago or you stopped drinking. But were you like, all right, these are bad kids. I should probably stop hanging out with them. For sure. But I was like president of that group. In a bad way, though? I mean, sometimes. I feel like in my drinking years, I remember one time I was like basically only... I was just like working in fine dining most of that whole time because it was like Indianapolis. Yeah. It was like a way for me to just like make easy money, hide my alcoholism or have it like exacerbated. What did that look like hiding your alcoholism? Like will you just be taking shots before your shift? Sometimes, sometimes drinking at work eventually finishing the drinks that didn't get finished on the table. No, (laughs) I was like, it would never got there, but I mean, I'd bring my own alcohol in like, and some of it was just like for maintenance. Like, whereas like, Hey, if I don't have a drink or two, my hands will shake, you know? So it's like, do you want this martini like that or not? You know? But it was like, and it, like we were saying, it wasn't always there. And like certain points in my 20s, there weren't like certain physical symptoms that are going to show up yet the way they're going to when you've been drinking 10 years into your 30s. You know, we metabolize things faster in our 20s. So it's like, it was like, oh, I feel like shit every day, but nothing that I couldn't, like I said, run through. I could still go to Orange Theory. I could still like do these types of things. But then, you know, chronically, that becomes a whole different situation. So it's like, you know, people like probably for the like three years or so before I even sobered up, 
my body was already physically telling me, like, buddy, we can't tell you when this is going to be, but if you're done with, you know, life and you've experienced enough and this has felt relentless and you can't do it the way you want, well, just keep it up because you're almost toast and it's going to be in your mid-30s and it's going to hurt a lot of people, but whatever because it's yours. And I was just, like, sitting on this knowledge, could, like, literally feel my insides just, like, in varying states of, like, atrophy and just, like, ugh. And still doing the whole thing. And then, yeah, four years ago, it was, like, I really don't think much back on that time because it was, like, I had been contemplating my sobriety since I started drinking in some ways, you know, of being, like, hey, you can't do this and this. What can't did, do this and this. What did your last year look like before sobriety? Run us through a day, like waking up. Well, the one thing is, I had just started comedy, so a year before you went sober. Yeah, so about a year and a half. I've been doing comedy like approaching the six year mark, so about four years of that sober from alcohol. And you were doing shows in Indianapolis for sure. And I thank God for that because it's like it's a small market, and I was only getting five minutes at a time, like you do when you first start. So it was like it was hard to even see how fucking much my hippocampus was detached, like detached, because like I might not be at every single show blacked out, but like based on what we're talking about, I'd been drinking for fifteen years. I'd been doing comedy for a year and a half. So it was like one is way bigger of a presence, like, and is going to be the one that leads in a dance, you know? And like, I would just be, and I'm an English major, like, or close to, like I was, we were talking about. So it's like, I was writing jokes like I do right now. But by the time I'd get up there, I'd be in 50 shades of blacked out somewhere. And you were a little nervous. Oh, my punchlines would swim. Of course, I'm still nervous now, you know, and running an hour. It's like wild. To even like consider that whole thing, but it was like it was not nonetheless. Just so I was just drinking a shit ton. If you imagine if that's like the kind of death spiral of a really long dance with something for me, also coinciding with my very like formative memories and moments in comedy. It was a shit show. So you'd wake up, drink, drink a couple drinks on stage. How did it look on the day that you had a show in Indianapolis in your first you know, year of comedy? I don't know. Just how many, however many drinks I'd had. I'll just go up at that time. And like we were talking, I was like, I'm, I've been funny. And the thing is, I had a lot of friends the whole time I've been alive from a small town to a bigger city, you know. So now it's like even my first open mic, even drunk as fuck and not even remembering my stage time. My friends were there. I had like fifteen. Sure you got a lot of. I had laughs. like fifteen buddies come to my first open mic in Indianapolis. You know, so it's like, yeah, it does. It's like maybe to some people, it's like, oh, look what it's grown to. But it's like, oh, I kind of, I had that. I just was definitely not wielding a, the same instrument, though. You know, aside from just like having, fortunately, an inner mechanism that like gravitates towards humor at every turn. And like I said, fortunately, only very few eyes on me, most also drinking, you know, in Indiana. So I was like, hey, there, I kind of just like, but in the weekend before I got sober for good, and I just had this told to me by a friend in Indianapolis, because I like don't even think too much about it anymore. My buddy was like, he started doing comedy at the same time as me. And we've like talked about all this stuff from the very start. And Dyke was like, Hannah, do you, I was at home like two weeks ago. He's like, do you realize what weekend it kind of is? And I'm like, no. He was like, well, this was a weekend. He was like recently that he's like a few years ago. He's like, I got, he got to do like, we were first doing comedy, my buddy. 
And he got to do some like little jokes in front of the short films at the art museum for like the Heartland Film Festival. Okay. And we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And we were so excited. And I wore these like Christian Louboutins that some dumb dude bought me. Oh, hell yeah. But I was like really drunk. I was wearing a filmmaker pass and everybody thought I was like my buddy's agent. And we were just being silly, but I was also still drinking in that weekend. So I was like a plus one to this event. There's pictures of me and you can just see it in my dumb drunk eyes, you know, that I'm fucking faded. But we were having a great time. Still remember very fondly this like moment. And then now, four years later, I was, like, sitting at his house, and he, like, throws a program towards me, and I'm like, what's this? And he's like, he's like, it's you, you dumb bitch. He's like, uh, it's the Heartland Film Festival lineup. He's like, that feature you shot last year is in there. He's like, so, he's like, what a fucking pivot, you know? And I'm like, Jesus. You know, it was, like, one of those moments, too, where it's like, I, I can't stress enough that, like, if you're alive and like doing something that you're kind of in a you know flow to do or wanted to do like you can be in places you know whether you're drinking or not whether you want to like get things out of your life that are potentially like creating obstacle because like even four years ago sloppy drunk I was at that film festival that I'm like a part of now but wildly different roles do you think do you think it's possible for somebody to be able to drink like two glasses of vodka a day, drink a whole bottle of wine, maybe at night we and function. Think about fully. our, just think about the office we work in. You see plenty of people having drinks of all shapes and sizes or all kinds of substances. And there's no judgment for me. Yeah. You ever have, I mean, you ever have any experience where you get tempted at being at comedy clubs? Cause I mean, 90% of the people at any given comedy club, the comics staff, for and, sure. You know, people who are not even working that night are drinking. Yeah, there's definitely those moments. But if anything, they're just coming attached to like a poor set in my mind. And it's more just like wanting that ability to like wash it away quickly. That's great. You know, but it's not anything of like me looking around because I'm understanding, you know, based on what we were talking about. There is so much in between me and what I'm doing right now as far as like the kind of alcohol, you know, that I was consuming. What was your was drink like, of choice, by the way? Oh, such a mixed bag, dude. But often I was drinking PBRs because they were cheap. What's that, a beer? Yeah, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. you drink like a 12-pack of that every day or something? <laughs> Easily, I could have. Um, but I'd be mixing it around, you know? It's like, because I was out and about. I'm half Asian, so I've never, like, struggled getting dick. You know, or having, like, it thrown at me in any way, shape, or form. I don't care. I was, like, the most exotic kid in the cornfields, and now I'm still hot. And so it's, like, Love it. and now I got this, like, non-binary frame that people are, like, we don't even care what it is. Just come over here. Come over here with your gravel voice, weird boy. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Fucking weirdo. Um, Yeah, so there's all that, too. How's Chicago been? Fucking love it. That's why I don't want to leave it. Like, I will say this. Like, I will be in New York a lot, as much as I can. The stand passing me was a fucking dream, dude. That's something I think I've, I had written down in the past, like, at least two years somewhere on a piece of paper was, you know, to eventually get past there, the seller, you know, and I have no idea when I write those things down, 
how long that's going to take. As you know, everybody's easy bake fucking dings at different times and I don't fucking care, you know. Yeah, you see all these uh, little signs I have all over the place. If you just look in the kitchen. Oh, for sure. I have stuff everywhere, <laughs> yeah. People sometimes come over like, aren't you embarrassed by that stuff? I'm like, no. If you're embarrassed, get out of here. For sure, fuck off. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of time to be embarrassed. This isn't the, the way, you know. Totally, yeah, not on the world. Hannah, you've been so open this entire time. I Maybe we want to switch topics to something brighter. What are you looking forward to the end of this year and then come in 2023? You're going to be ba- taking the train from Chicago to New York? Oh, my God. That's like a 15-hour train, right? No, there's actually that's super awful. cheap flights from Indy to, to New York City. Oh, right? and Chicago to New York City, yeah. too, right? It's like yeah, 150 not bad at all. I've been finding them under 100 bucks. Oh, constantly. really? Spirit, though? or like No, other- sometimes not. But even Spirit's an hour 40 from Indy. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. I mean, what you don't even need to buy the internet. Yeah, you can if be you standing in the pole in the back of the spirit. If you can't be quiet for one forty, you know, I just don't know what to tell you. You don't yeah. want it enough. Um, in brighter news, let's see. I recorded an album with eight hundred pound gorilla that should be coming out in the next several months. It's called Asian American Psycho. Love that. Uh, and then is that being dropped on YouTube on their channel? Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm contractually, I didn't really pay much attention to everything I wrote my name. Like, just let me do an hour. No doubt. I was like, I'm gonna, I was like, I'm gonna change my mind. You're finally throwing it. I was like, I'm gonna change my mind, or Bobby (laughs) Kelly's gonna like pull back on the support that got me and us all into this issue in the first place, and then. So there's that. That'll be coming out. I'll probably do more on the internet so people will leave me alone. Um, Well, let me ask you this: since you've been sober, has it taken you? I guess four years to create this hour. Is this the first hour especially putting out? Yeah, it definitely was the sum of the past four years for sure. And like I said, for the first year and a half was pretty blurry, but I still, you know, like I said, managed to kind of just put some things together one piece at a time that have like easily come into my first hour. Is there anything that triggers you maybe joke wise or life wise to be like, eh, you know what? Maybe I can go back to drinking a couple of drinks a day. It wasn't so bad. Maybe not 10, but I can have two or three. I think about the fact that I believe I could be uh, capable of moderation at all times. You do still believe that now? For sure, because it's like I'm in a different mindset. So I believe that, you know, like your mindset can create your reality. Like you and I met each other last week smoking a joint in in moderation. You were passing it very generously. Oh, my gosh. By the way, I have your lighter. We're going to give that back. We will. I'm not. So you can just look for me on the Internet, dudes. Thank you for this. It's so cute, too. Hannah's lighter like five days ago. I was like, I'll get it back to you. Maybe when I'm in Indianapolis or Chicago or when you're on the freaking couch. Yes, and here I am. We here just you met. Are. Here I am. I was sharing nerds that night that a fan had given me in the bathroom <laughs> oh, at the stand. Yeah, yeah, that's a true story, you know, because that's the power of the internet. So don't give up on your dreams, and you too can shoot an album that you know, sixty people will be a really big fan of. Uh, sixty million minus two. Sixty million. Your Fifty-eight parents. million. Uh, Yo, yeah. Have your parents heard your comedy? So in. Hand to God, and the whole time I've been doing it, they've never seen me do a set. But not like the open mics in mm-hmm. uh, Indiana. But it's honestly for, as you can kind of tell, all our protection. I really do love and respect them so much. And like I said, if I even with the way I was drinking wasn't drinking at home or like cursing in front of them, I've always been like pretty about face when I see them. And not to be like fake, but just because I just like do love them. So it's like I want them to be proud of for you. For sure. That's are they, why I, are they listening or watching? <laughs> no, they're not going to be. 
Mom doesn't even know how to use the internet. Asian and can't use the internet. Just <laughs> it's so unlike right? uh, you did it, Sam. <laughs> you did it, Samsung. You're winning, and Dad does. Dad knows better. Dad even told me one time, just like kind of being cocky at home. He was like, he's like, Hanny, your schedule is online, so if I want to come in and see you one of these days, I can. Because like I said, we just have this unwritten kind of agreement where it's like, hey. You know that love and respect we have for each other? It will potentially be diminished and in ways that aren't personal, but they're going to feel that way if you walk in and watch me do any of this exercising towards, you know, this album recording. Because, like, everything I've done leading up, like, I'm not a... I can be an observational comic. I look forward to those years. I'll be fucking rich. The second I, like want to like work clean and I'll just be like coming for John Christ money and I'll have Joel Osteen on stage and it will just be beautiful dudes. I look forward to that. But for now, you know, I got sober so I could feel like freedom and I don't fear God and I don't fear them. And that's something I've like, let them know now graciously and lovingly in adulthood. So it's like, Hey, you can come in there, but like me calling you Tom Lennon and Loco Ono will be the least of your concerns. Mom, you barely speak English, so you're not even going to get it. I speak way too fast for you. And half the time in slang, Dad, I'm also talking about jerking it to, you know, jars of clay growing up. So, like, none oh of God. this, none of this, none of this will you enjoy right now. So, please just, like, let's not. But, you know, look forward to the other years. The second like, hour? The third hour? Yeah, I'll still look 12 at 50. Like, we're all going to be fucking fine, you know? But, like, I just, for now, that's just, like, how I've kind of chosen to tumble through. But, you going to be touring soon at all with that hour? Looking for dates and places? Yeah, yeah. But you love yeah. Chicago, so I'm why not run the right scene there? I'm just, like, enjoying just this kind of, like, surrender portion of my calendar where I'm like, hey... Is that the end of the 2022, you mean? For sure, where I'm just like, I'll be out west again. My kid sister lives out in Malibu, so like, if you want to put me on your independent L.A. stages, I'll be so happy. Um, I still don't think I have the comedy crypto necessary to get on like the major, <laughs> the the major stages. Crypto's doing solid today. I know, I'm doing fine. Um, all the people I really look up to are on the stages there. Um, yeah, support them. But yeah, I'll be out and about, just tooling around. Have that hour coming out. I'm about to drop merch. Probably do a podcast to my own because 800 pound gorillas contract gives me uh, access to the podcast studio at the cellar. So maybe that feels like something I should do when I'm in the city of New York. Totally. Uh, just since everybody good at my job and uh, he- heroes wise are here all the time. So maybe I could talk to them and you over there too, Ted. Are you loving New York each and every time you're coming back more and more? I'm into it. And also New York over LA, I would I would think, right? Oh my God, all day. Do you like driving? A lot of driving probably in Indiana and maybe For a little sure. Chicago. For sure, so I'm like, I'm apathetic towards it. It was like, hey, if you got to get 40 minutes on in the car to get to the, like, the closest Walmart growing up, you just have more of a, like a... A chill in those spaces. But I do not like it. As an efficient adult now, I don't want to come to L.A. and have to be like an hour in between trying to get to something that's very, very close. New York at least provides me the ability to rip reps if I want in a way that's like, okay, because I still have to cash spot paychecks. Like, you know, I have an OnlyFans. There's just like a a -a (laughs) Build-A-Bear that is not my favorite right now, but you guys are into it, so... 
50 people, $9.11 at a time. We're, we're raising like, the freaking rate everywhere. after this episode. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Um, but yeah, New York's way better also. There's no central part of New York too. Like you said, you're staying with your friend in Brooklyn. And I don't want to say deep Brooklyn, but it's in Brooklyn, you For know? sure. And the thing is like to get here to all the way on the other west side of Manhattan, what'd it take, 35 minutes? At least. Which is not so bad though. You figure if you're trying to get from Venice to Hollywood, rush oh, hour, so an hour and 20 minutes. You cannot do two spots in a night. Here, you can go deep in Brooklyn and have some of the best sets of your I life, best f- crowd and with other comics you that are great. You could probably answer this for me more, but I also feel like I really feel that strong affectation in LA that's just like not really my vibes anymore where I'm like, it's not too cool for school but it just feels like a lot of people where like I watch people for the first time and I know that comic, if they were just running what they thought was funny, would be funny to me, but because they get up in there and for, I mean honestly this would serve me in my career to be more serious on stage and run tight sets so people would look at me and be like, hey uh, maybe we could see that on late night, but I also, like I told you, don't work clean right now, so there's no way I'm going to be on late night, so fuck it. I just, like, you know, and then I go in there and just fucking riff and and just nutty, you know, and everyone's like, oh, my God, what the fuck's happening over here? But New York is not like that. New York, you have to, like, fight rats for attention, and nobody gives a fuck, and everybody, like, kind of wants you to do crowd work because you guys do it so masterfully over here, but I'm not used to doing it because I was in Indiana. I wasn't going to be like, hey, so what do you do? And they're like, meth. And I'd I be like, <laughs> I just work on the cornfield. You just you listen do, to meth? the things that I'm telling you about myself. Okay. And then now I'm over here and everyone's like, make us laugh, but include us, sad monkey. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I know how. I just don't want to, Connor. So I'm acclimating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good for me to be over here eating a dick every third set. Sure. Uh, knowing I have that ability. But it's also been really cool, too, because, like, you know, it's, like, the best comedy that's happening in the world, bar none, any day of the week. So it's, like... Any borough, really any comedy club. For sure. Get into Run Through the Stand. Like I said, not only, like, a dream for me to get past there, but just even being, like, sandwiched in between, like I said, people that I just look up to a great deal and that make me, like, dumb nervous, but then have really had, like, cool things to say to me. Like, Bonnie McFarlane the other night was, like... Just even when she first met she me, she was, like, Hey, Hannah, I can tell you're a real comic. And I just looked at her, like, Oh, that is the... I, I'm good for the rest of the year. The fact that you can just tell I'm a real comic, Bonnie. How much longer are you here for? Till maybe Thursday morning, but then I'm going to come right back on the 20th. I'm starting to do Of October? Yeah. So you'll just be back for a week. I'm going away and doing a week's worth of shows at Laugh Factory and back home in Indy. I'm producing for Brandon Sagalow on Friday. Uh, Back home in Indianapolis and then doing some reps in Chicago. And then I'm going to race back over here. And do some more stuff at the stand. I'm uh, hosting for the very first time soon there. We love it. <sighs> Hannah, this is really terrific. Thank you so much for coming on Thanks the podcast. Me you too. were an open book. You were really great. Where can we find you? Social media on the road. We're popping it up right here. Let us know. Hannah. I try to make it very easy on y'all and mostly just for me being high all the time. You can follow me at Hander Pump Rules. That's like Vanderpump, but H-A-N, that's my Twitter, OnlyFans, and Instagram, so. And it's popping. It's freaking popping. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Leave a freaking comment, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.